Hey y'all, welcome back to New Slang. I'm music journalist Thomas Mooney. This is episode 186, where I'm joined by Texas singer-songwriter Dallas Burrow. Dallas has a new record coming out at the end of the week, Friday, July 23rd. We caught up a little while back to talk about this self-titled and Bruce Robinson-produced album. We talk about a host of things here, from songwritings and patience, recording with Bruce, the current Texas songwriter world, Dallas's father, who was also an artist, and the impact he had on Dallas, and how family and relationships have impacted his own brand of storytelling. And of course, there's a lot more in there. I'm going to actually keep this intro super short because I'm out on vacation, out on a lake, actually southeast of Dallas of all places. And yeah, anyway, trust me when I say you'll want to grab this new record by Dallas Burrow out this Friday. It's a great one. Today's presenting partner is our pals over at Desert Door Texas Sultal. If you've been listening to New Slang for really any amount of time, you'll know that Desert Door is one of my all-time favorite premium high-quality spirits. If you haven't or aren't sure what exactly a Sotol is, I'm going to let you in on a little secret that's going to up the game on your liquor cabinet. For starters, the best reference point that I can point you to is to think about a tequila or a mezcal. Do you feel that western desert, that Texas ruggedness? Okay, Sotol is like that, but a little bit more refined, smooth, and fragrant. It intrigues the palate and offers these hints of vanilla and citrus. There's an earthiness that often sends me right back to my Trans-Pecos and Far West Texas roots. There's plenty to love about Desert Door. For me, it all starts right there. A close second is just how versatile Desert Door really is. You can go full highbrow and experiment with concocting a variety of cocktails that call for muddling fresh fruit, sprigs of thyme, sticks of cinnamon. It's perfect for that world. If you're a little bit more down home, if you've just rolled up the sleeves of your denim Wrangler button-up, it's perfect for that as well. If you're just desiring something that's short and sweet, it hits the mark every time. Desert Door is genuine and authentically West Texan. It's inherently West Texan. They harvest soto plants out in the wild and are knowledgeable conservationists at heart. That's obviously something incredibly important to me. They shine a light on what makes West Texas special and unique and worth preserving and keeping it safe from exploitation. Right now, you can find Desert Door all over Texas, Colorado, Tennessee, and there's budding numbers in places like New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Georgia. Best thing you can do is to check out DesertDoor.com to find where Desert Door is locally. Again, that's DesertDoor.com. Be sure to subscribe to New Slang if you haven't just yet. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and virtually anywhere you listen to podcasts. So give us a five-star review if you're over on Apple Podcasts. They do go a long way. Be sure to visit the merch store. That would be at newslangpodcast.bigcartel.com. Over there, you can get t-shirts, coffee mugs, koozies, all kinds of stuff. Go visit us over there. And yeah, let's get on into it. Here is Dallas Burrow. You know, I think like to go back to that first single that you released, the Born Down in Texas. Yeah. That is such a, you know, a greasy kind of blues number right there that just kind of, you feel that 
I, I don't know, like that Louisiana heat in it. You feel that East Texas kind of swampiness. Sure. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely got a swampy thing going on. Yeah, I, I think like that's yeah. such a a great introduction for the record. What uh, where where that song first kind of stem from? What's the the story there? Well, I, you know, musically speaking, um, the inspiration kind of came out of uh, this, this sort of like jam band that over the past uh, year I kind of was in and out of. Um, during the pandemic, you know, a bunch of uh, musicians around here, I mean, everywhere, but, but the few around here that I, I was, you know, buddies with were all kind of, you know, the ones that had been on the road were off the road and, and, you know, um, there'd been some, you know, different living, living arrangements made for, for others and stuff like that. So, but, uh, it, uh, the band was called El Saddle and, uh, that's been, uh, this kind of side project of this buddy of mine named Cullen Fox. And, and he plays his regular gig is in Charlie Crockett's bands, mm-hmm. plays, plays keys and trumpet and, you know, accordion and, uh, for Charlie. And, uh, so it was Cullen's band. Um, but this configuration in particular was, you know, uh, was me and Cullen and this uh, other friend of mine named Chad Pope, who had just moved down from Memphis. Um, and Chad is, you know, he's kind of a, he's, he's a character, man. Um, and he's played with Dale Watson some, but really, you know, Chad's kind of a, a, a hard dude to pin down. I mean, he's kind of a psychedelic blues guy. Um, and so, so like, as far as the storyline of the song itself, you know, um, you know, it, I was kind of like writing to uh, his story a bit. I mean, you know, him, having just come from memphis and stuff and but also too like that that group el saddle we had done a show opening for dale watson and so you know and dale was back and forth from memphis he just moved back to texas i guess and and uh, he and his wife celine um you know we're uh we were opening for them out um some funky little general store um up in a little town called bend which is outside of comanche which is like another nowhere town but um but so, you know, I was just thinking about just thinking about Memphis and I've, you know, over the years uh, had the pleasure of spending a fair amount of time in New Orleans myself. And I mean, um, you know, like as far as not to get too heavy uh, about the whole thing, but like, you know, uh, I mean, I've, you know, been sort of on, I think, a sort of a spiritual journey throughout a lot of my life, which part of which um started with this kind of uh, adventure that around the time I was 19, I had a buddy of mine take me out to Kinky Friedman's ranch and uh, it was after Katrina. It's probably 07. And there was a guy named the Reverend goat living out of Kinky's house. And the Reverend goat was a Cherokee shaman, but he and Kinky had been on tour with uh, Bob Dylan on the Rolling Thunder review in, in like 75. And, and the goat just was just, the, you know, the ultimate character, dude. I mean, he was like a street preacher in a, like I said, a shaman and, you know, um, you know, and, uh, and so he kind of roped me into moving him back to new Orleans. And when I did get back, you know, got him back down there, um, he was, he had been called back to go play with Dr. John at the house of blues and at voodoo fest and stuff. So I got to meet Dr. John and wound up hanging around Mac, uh, as you know, 
as those kind of uh, years passed uh, passed me by, in just in that little period, it was like you know I I found myself just running around with all these like medicine men and stuff like that down down in New Orleans. And so the the mention of like uh, down in Louisiana chasing that voodoo thing, and then you know the woman up in Memphis. I mean some you know some of it's mm-hmm. um, speaking to my personal experiences some of just kind of uh, touching on you know uh just kind of like uh a bit more fictional references to stuff that you know friends of mine had happening with them but um so so yeah so musically speaking you know we the guys i was jamming with were kind of you know doing some some country some blues stuff but some of my favorite stuff we were doing was just like real swampy bluesy funky you know kind of low down groove type stuff. And so I, I wanted to write an original song that sort of captured that feel. And, uh, and so I just, you know, started kind of, um, telling that story a little bit, some of those stories and uh, I took it over to Chad and I, I just had this like one, four, five, like, you know, kind of standard blues, uh, change that I'd, I'd started writing it in and, and, you know, Chad helped me kind of push it out of the box a little bit and, and, and kind of rework the, it's still blues, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a bit more bastardized version of the blues. It's not, you know, it's not straightforward and, uh, and help me tinker with the words a little bit, put in a bridge. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was, you know, Chad really helped me, uh, make it what it was. And then he's playing that, that slide guitar on there, that, you know, signature slide sound. Um, so, but yeah, that was just trying to kind of tell some of those stories in a, in a kind of neat and tidy little box and, uh, and, and just put some of that funk on it that we were, uh, working up with those guys. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Yeah. Like it, it really much ties, really ties back into, you know, some of those old mythical kind of where the blues was born kind of thing. I can't remember. I guess it's like that blind lemon Jefferson song about I'm paraphrasing here. And I'll mess up the line, but like the blues came bucking on a mule into Texas or whatever that line is. Uh, like there's, it feels like uh, that kind of like there's all those old stories of, of how the right. blues was born. And of course, like we're talking about a lot of, the Mississippi Delta stuff. And as far as it getting from there into all these other places, as far as it going to new Orleans and, and, right. and, and being like, you know, transforming into something else there. And then of course you mentioned Memphis and, you know, we can mention Dallas and Chicago sure. and all these places. I, I really do love right. like that kind of, there's a little bit of that callback and feel. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, man. so, Sure. Yeah, that's crazy. That, like the, you know, you hanging uh, out with all these like shaman and just meeting him via kinky Friedman's ranch. <laughs> yeah, man, that was a wild period of my life. I mean, you know, um, you know, the kids I grew up with were going to college and, you know, doing normal stuff. And I was out there being a gypsy with some serious characters and that, you know, that, uh, definitely was, a an interesting time. Um, and and really helped you know shape the course of of my you know artistic life and and spiritual life and and uh you know informed uh direction i would you know wind up going in uh through trial and error i think but 
but yeah, for sure. I, you know, I hadn't, I guess I hadn't thought that much about it, but you're talking about like, you know, um, the blues came bucking in on a, on a mule or it's, it's, it's almost like the story, the storyline of the song is, is almost like the personification of like the spirit of the blues. It's tying together Texas and new Orleans and Memphis and the whole Delta. And, you know, so yeah, yeah. I think it definitely captures that, you know, that soul and that spirit of the blues for sure. Yeah. I mean, like as far as like, you know, a, a mood, yeah, it, it just yeah. It, like within a couple of seconds, you just know what, what's going to happen there. And then of course it, you know, you mentioned the slide once all that kind of starts getting in, I guess it's like a little bit later in the song, as far as the, when it really kicks in and you're on that ride, it's, it's such a great damn song. You, uh, you mentioned Colin. Like I, yeah. I've met him a couple of times. He probably does not remember me, but like the first I've seen him play obviously with Charlie a bunch, but I guess sure. like the first time I saw him play here in Lubbock was with sons of fathers. He was playing with those yeah. guys and right. you know, that's like the first yeah, time yeah. I guess like you kind of, or I first saw him as far as like, yeah, this guy plays literally everything. <laughs> dude, he's a brilliant dude, man. He really is an interesting, interesting cat. And it's funny because, um, you know, he's, he's in, his family goes back in New Braunfels where I'm from. And, you know, we, it, we figured out at some point, I mean, I got, I've only met him in the past couple of years. I met him through Charlie, you know, and like, I've known Charlie since way back. And that's, that's a whole different story. Uh, he and I met up in Northern California years ago, but, but when I set out to make this record and, and everything, Charlie was like, yeah, man, you should definitely get Colin to play on that stuff. Like, you know, you know, just, uh, really, um, I think, I think what Colin does musically can, you know, take any, any, uh, band to sort of a, a different level. Um, but yeah, he was, you know, he played, right. He played with Paul Cawthon. I mean, he played with Ian Moore for years on the road. He's got great stories about that. Um, played with Raul Malo, played with, in Bruce Robinson's band at, at some point, you know, I mean, he, played mm-hmm. all kinds of different people but yeah he, you know he um but we figured out that you know his his grandfather was a judge here in new Braunfels, and my grandfather was a doctor and you know so it's like we we kind of like suspect that they were probably all playing poker together you know years ago <laughs> back, back in the day so we've got the, we've got kind of like an old some, some family history just you know we speculate about but uh super good dude man um yeah, uh, and he had, uh, you know, almost got his doctorate in uh, in the trumpet. So I mean, you know, he's he's just got an incredible amount amount of insight as far as like just music theory and and, and his knowledge of of you know the musical world. Um, but so yeah, you know, like there's right. So when the band kicks in on that tune, you know. Um, Colin's on the, you know, playing the organ in B3 through the Leslie. And, uh, and we've got, got Josh Blue on drums. Um, it's Sterling Finley on the bass. And uh, another old friend of mine, Larry Chaney, on, uh, playing the second um, electric guitar. And, yeah, man, it's just when it all kicks in, it's like, it's, I, in the studio when it was happening, I was like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Felt it. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, you mentioned Bruce obviously, and Bruce, you know, produced this record, and um, yeah. 
Bruce always has his like go-to musicians that he calls upon as far as the next waltz or any of these yeah. projects. Um, obviously, you're you're picking from your your cast, your bag of, of people. Um, what was it, I guess, like as far as knowing like where you needed to go, what direction, who do you needed to to call upon? Um, given the, the the given song or given the the what you needed out of a song what was it like i guess like going through that roster maybe have, having some of those conversations with bruce's as far as who would maybe work best here and not necessarily there like what was what sure. like that process so yeah i mean that was <clears throat> it just kind of happened organically i mean you know on the last record I did up in, in uh, Nashville, I had the, you know, the good pleasure of, of getting to, you know, going out and meeting like who I just, from my own uh, kind of detective work were some of the best musicians up in, up in that city. And, and so, and that, and I achieved you know, a cool sound that way I thought, and I was happy to work with the guys I did. Um, but so coming back to Texas, it was, you know, it was one of those things where, well, the bar is pretty high now, you know, with the national record with Dave Rowe and Kenny Vaughn and Chris Scruggs and so on. So, like, it's going to have to be good. Whatever I do now, it's going to have to be, you know, pretty good it, to, to for it not to have a drop in quality. And so um, talking to Bruce, um, you know, like you said, uh, he has he has a pretty regular roster of go-to guys. But then, but the thing is too, Bruce has worked with, you know, over his career with most everybody around that's worth working with. So, um, it was kind of a, you know, a thing where like he, he recommended a certain lineup of guys and then, um, and I just was, you know, sort of, um, I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, that would be great. Now, what about, you know, uh, a couple of these guys? And really, I just was trying to go to bat for um, using as much of my own band as possible, just because, you know, there's, I think there's something to, and, and like that, you know, part of that is, you know, inspired in part by like the way Charlie, the, you know, cuts mm -hmm. his records. He, he likes to use his, his, his own band. And I mean, there's, there's different philosophies about that where, you know, some some people will tell you like get the best studio musicians you can for the record and then get the band that you're gonna use on the road just to learn the record and that's one way to go but um you know and and just you know hoping to, to develop a sound and and to you know create some sense of of loyalty and like and you know hoping for people to feel like they got skin in the game uh i wanted to use as many of my own guys as i could too so and Bruce was totally open to that. And, and, you know, lo and, lo and behold, the way, the way it went anyway was there's nobody that I had named in, uh, uh, to suggest that he hadn't already worked with anyway, or, you know, it's like, there's nobody I could bring to the table that wasn't already under the, you know, sphere of influence of Bruce's, you know, world as, it, you know, as it stands. So it all worked out pretty good. Um, so it was kind of a combination, you know, like, um, like Josh, uh, blue who plays all the drums and percussion on the album. That's, you know, he's Bruce's regular drummer and plays on most of the stuff at the next waltz anyway. No, um, 
you know, I, I suggested Larry Chaney, who has played on all my records previously and produced a bunch of stuff for me back in the day. And of course, you know, Bruce and Larry done a session before, so Bruce was familiar with him. Um, you know, I suggested using Cullen. Of course, Cullen had played in Bruce's band before, and you know, been on a bunch of stuff at the next wall, so that was a, a no-brainer. Um, and so, just you know, down the line, but so it was, it was a combination. I mean, he was, he was really gracious and open to whatever you know I wanted to do, and and he also had you know definite, definite strong uh, opinions about about things, but. Luckily, there's nothing I suggested that it was, you know, too far away from, I think, you know, what what he had pictured. So it worked out that way. This episode of New Slang is brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. Blue Light has long been the heart and soul of the Lubbock singer-songwriter scene and has been a home away from home for some of Texas, Americana, country, and rock and roll's finest over the years. Talk with 99.9% of the songwriters who have come out of Lubbock and the panhandle at large over the past 20 years, and they'll point to just how integral and necessary the blue light is. With live music and touring slowly but surely coming back, spots like the blue light are getting back to their usual ways as well. That means music every night of the week. Do you want to see that schedule? Well, I've got a few options for you. One, go to their socials and give them a follow. That is at Blue Light Live on Twitter, at The Blue Light Live on Instagram, and of course, by just searching The Blue Light Live on Facebook. They're consistently posting that week's lineup of shows, as well as those heavy hitters that ought to be on your calendar that are coming up on the horizon. Two, check out bluelightlubbock.com as well. There they have the full schedule, the cover charges, time any of those specials that may be happening while there go check out their merch page they have a wide range of hats koozies hoodies sweaters beanies jackets and so much more you can of course get all of your merch needs when you go see your favorite band take the stage at blue light just ask the bartender and they will get you all set speaking of which that's another great way of seeing who's playing there just go to the blue light It's at 1806 Buddy Holly Avenue here in Lubbock, Texas. And of course, again, that is bluelightlubbock.com. I'll throw a link into the show notes too. Maybe I'll see you there. Okay, let's get back to the show. Right. Yeah. The, uh, I guess I've, I've, I've been privy to, to being down there one time for a couple of sessions. Um, but even then, like, I, I think it's, maybe hard to to relay just the the vibes of that place um yeah you know, it's yeah. not like s- slick and it's it's like everything's um in a in a in a moment of 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 i guess working you know what i mean it's a working studio so it's not like mm-hmm. where you know you walk into a room and everything's not clutter free or it's not you know clutter free it's not like where yeah, yeah. you know um i mean it's in the, in the, it's in a state of you know where people are working um and i think yeah. that it's worn in and all that kind of stuff um for sure how easy is it to to like you know ease in and feel like you're like you know living there that that it's a comfort zone well i mean it's, I guess, 
you know, it's like anything else. I mean, it's all what you make it. Uh, you know, you're, you, I, I was, I was, I was pretty, pretty quickly, fairly comfortable. And I mean, and it, yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, you know, I know what you mean. It's like to describe it the way, the way that place like is on paper doesn't, isn't, isn't, doesn't exactly do it justice. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like the magic that's there is, is more than like the physical reality of the place a lot more, you know, um, there's, there's a lot happening just is, you know, musically that transcends the, um, the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not like a, a slick frill, like, you know, place with a lot of frills. You know, it's, it's not without its creature comforts, but yeah, it's a place you go to work. It's, you know, it's, it's got a, it's got a, a, a rustic country kind of low down thing about it that, that I dug. And I mean, as far as feeling comfortable out there, man, I mean, you know, the, the main thing was at, for me personally, like as, you know, someone, a relatively, you know, young songwriter, uh, dude from Texas, like just to be in a room with Bruce, you know, it, once I got acclimated to like being around Bruce, then, you know, then it's all good. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. You know, cause Bruce, you know, Bruce is like, you know, like a mythical creature or he's like a, you know, a mythical character in the whole landscape of, of Texas music at this point. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it, I mean, man, you know, it was, I was a little nervous at first, but once, once, you know, I got over that, then, it, then it was all good, man. Yeah. You know, I love, I, I love working out there. It was, it was a ball. Um, it was, you know, it, it felt like I was, uh, in a, in a, in a special place every time I went out there. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Bruce makes you feel comfortable. He'll, you know, yeah. put, on a pot of, put on a pot of coffee and, and, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, brag on it when it needs when it's when he's proud of what we're doing and and if if it, if you know if he feels like something needs to be better he'll 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 be quick to tell you that too you know he's he doesn't pull any punches but he was i mean you know it's fun to work with for sure yeah that, that that's maybe like the the analogy right there as far as the uh as far as what the next waltz the the bunker goes is yeah they have a, a coffee pot and that coffee pot's probably, you know, uh, it, it's no frills coffee pot. It's not like, you know, where you're having to push 18 buttons. There's only one kind of right. coffee you're going to get. And, and that's, yeah. it's all about the functionality of it. Right. Um, right. So, and, and the thing with Bruce is, you know, you're not going to meet an, a, a nicer guy. You're not going to meet someone who's more knowledgeable. Um, yeah. But we all know that there's a little bit of that intimidation factor where you're like, this guy's written fucking massive songs <laughs> and like, and he's know. like seven feet tall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Six, five anyway, but no, yeah, yeah, man. He's, yeah, exactly. You know, there's the Robinson brothers. I mean, you know, there's, there's like, it's, they're like, they're like their own, uh, you know, like Royal family almost, you know, with, it's a, a dynasty is the way you, you know, I guess you, 
I describe those guys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, man, you know, I mean, no, I know what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. As far as like, you know, um, Charlie and, and Bruce and, um, their, their sister, Robin, obviously Kelly, like, I don't know if totally. people know enough about yeah. Robin's stuff. Like, I think her stuff's incredible, too. Um, Dude, I saw I saw her open. Op- so, like, right. But also, too, she, you know, she's, um, you know, one of the owners out there at Devil's Backbone Tavern, right? Or, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm not familiar on that. No. Okay. But. So, um, so the Devil's Backbone Tavern is this place that in the past couple of years, Robin Ludwig, Bruce's sister, and um, there's another lady that is part owner. And I, I'm not sure who all is partners in the place. It might just be those two. Um, lady named Abby Road, who also owned Copeland Dance Hall and I think used to own Lukenbach or something. But so Robin and Abby um, like revitalized and, and, and got the Devil's Backbone Tavern uh, off the ground again. And it's, it's next time you're down in the hill country, Thomas, man, you got to come check that place out. It's the devil's backbone is this, is this like, uh, you know, it's a, it's like a, a, a ridge in, in the hills, um, outside of between New Braunfels and, and like Wimberley area, just kind of like on the edge of the hill country, uh, down here. And, and so, you know, there's a great drive, you know, the, road that, that follows this ridge and and the, and the tavern is this you know super kind of rustic old old beer joint but uh they, they brought out you know some some great shows they put together in the past uh you know before the shutdown and since but i mean like they had todd snyder and, and jack ingram do a song swap and you know look at um they, just, they bring a lot of cool cats down out of Austin and, and different stuff. But, uh, but so I, I went to see Willis Allen Ramsey out there, uh, about, I don't know, two years ago or something. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, you're hip to Willis, right? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. Of course. Right. <laughs> so, so, so Willis for me is like that record he put out in 71 is, is like, you know, the Holy grail of, of you know songwriter records i mean you know up there to me he's he's you know up there with with towns van zant and with bob dylan and you know leonard cohen and all my favorite songwriters willis is right up there with those guys and that that album in particular is as good as anything i think anybody's done just for, for my money but but uh so sold out show out there at devil's backbone about 200 people 300 people i don't know how many people you know what the capacity is but and with Willis by himself with the guitar, but but Robin anyway, Robin opened up for him, and yeah, she was awesome, dude. You know, super interesting songs. You know, just cool lady. Yeah, for sure. I would say uh, for suggestions for listeners, her record uh, "This Tall to Ride" is is a great record to check out. Cool. Um, as far as like Willis Allen Ramsey goes, I mean, like yeah. There's so many, it should be kind of one of those things where, um, if you're a songwriter in Texas, it should be like required listening. You should have to own that record and like maybe write a essay on it or something after listening. Yeah. 
Um, right. Because right. yeah, that like that record's just incredible. Um, yeah. It's just I don't know what else to say about it. Like there's just uh, I don't even know. Like I the other day on Twitter uh, having a conversation with some friends as far as like what's your favorite song on that record and. I kept on like replying back, like, and erasing my reply because I would, no, 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 maybe it's not that song. Maybe, no, 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 it's definitely Satin Sheets. No, 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 no. Um, yeah, right. And, and yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's hard to like to say like what the best songs on that record. And of course, like, you know, in a lot of ways, like that record, it, it's very, very easy to, I guess, mythologize, romanticize a record. Um, especially the story with that, as far as like it being his only record, it's very, very easy to fall in line with that and then like kind of be disappointed by the actual product. Um, this is a record Uh that stands up though. Like it, it, it's the, the story. Yeah. Oh, hundred. Yeah. hundred percent, dude. It's no, um, timeless and yeah, it's hard to, hard to pick a favorite. Like, I mean, and it's funny too, because I think uh, it's it's always going to be one of those that for songwriters from this part of the world, yeah, definitely a prerequisite, uh, you know, thing you got to know and study at least at some point a little bit, to, you know, like I, I think I remember reading an article about Lyle Lovett that when he first started out, you know, he was going around to coffee houses or whatever and, and, you know, playing spider John and that, you know, that was kind of like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a formative, you know, kind of just part of, you know, his, the trajectory of his career was, you know, so, um, yeah, I play, I, you know, like just in, in, uh, I'm just playing, you know, if I'm playing a three-hour set somewhere, like I do sometimes, I'll, I'll play Spider John. I'll, I'll play Northeast Texas Women. I'll you know I'll bust out satin sheets sometimes. But dude, um, yeah, you know, yeah, Wishbone. I think that's Leon Russell playing piano on Wishbone. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. that's a uh, that era of of Texas Troubadour. The the Willis Allen Ramsey Guy Clark Towns, um, yeah. Rodney Crowell, like that era of of songwriter. Um, I think we all kind of like go back to it and think of like that being like that golden era, the the golden age. Um, mm-hmm. Willie Nelson on top, you know that kind of deal, right? Uh, sure. Yeah, Willie Transcend. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, you know, I, that, Willie's right in there, but he also kind of transcends the whole thing, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he's yeah. like the figure figurehead of, of, um, you know, I think Texas music in general, probably. And but uh, yeah, absolutely, he he does transcend and all that stuff, but but know, but he's one. But he's but you're right. That he's, he's like right the in umbrella there. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I guess what I was going to say though, is like, you know, we, we all kind of always look back at that era. Um, right now, like maybe obviously it's very, very hard to, you know, compare these contemporary guys, uh, what's happening in Texas right now to that area. Um, 
but like I, I feel like we're in a, a real nice sweet spot as far as um, guys who are, are and women who are doing songs down here in Texas that aren't necessarily um, trying to be on like Texas country radio, but are still, you know, very, very successful in their own way, carving out their own spots. Uh, we've already mentioned Charlie Crockett, but like, you know, mm-hmm. guys like, uh, and he's not necessarily from Texas, but lives here in Texas. Now, Jesse Daniel, or like you got like the That's Joshua awesome. Ray Walkers and the Vincent Neil Emerson's. I feel like yep. we're, we're all in like this really nice, uh, spot, sweet spot as far as, um, maybe in a couple of years we'll kind of look back and realize, Oh, these guys are like, maybe, maybe they aren't the, the Billy Joe Shavers and the, the Joe Healy's and, and whatnot, but maybe they, uh, maybe they live up to some, some, some kind of uh level that we're maybe not given, um, <coughs> full appreciation to right now. Uh, what, what, I guess like, what's your thoughts as far as, you know, kind of be in the middle, being in the middle, being like, you know, um, where, where you're not necessarily thinking about all the accolades that will come, but, uh, have you, have you stepped back and thought about like, you know, some of your contemporaries and peers all kind of also doing some really, really cool stuff right now? Oh yeah, man. Yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting. To, it's an exciting time to see the quality of, of, of the output of, of all those guys you mentioned, um, who, you know, some, some of those guys are, you know, good friends of mine. And, and I, I've never met Josh, but I've, you know, I sat around recently and picked a little bit, traded songs with Vincent, uh, on the back porch after a gig, he played down here someplace. And, and he, he and I had never really been in a room together or, or we, we'd met, but we hadn't really ever sat and traded songs and stuff. And, you know, that was, that was a cool, cool moment, you know, like, um, I got a lot of respect for what he does. Um, and, uh, and yeah, dude, Jesse's, you know, dude, we did a bill in Austin the other day him and summer Dean and I, and, uh, and Jesse's band is, they were just, you know, they were a powerhouse that night. I mean, they're, but, but dude, you know, his songwriting and everything, I've got a lot of respect for that, uh, for, you know, for his stuff. Uh, it's, uh, I think, I think the, the Texas songwriter thing has rubbed off on him some, which, um, I don't know if his, his record has, has dropped yet, the whole thing, but it's about to, if it hasn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so once you get to dig dig into that a little bit, you'll see what I mean. There's, you know, I think just from, from my, you know, my conversations with him, like I don't think he wants to be boxed in to the Bakersfield thing like solely forever either. He wants to be able to, you know, kind of explore the, you know, different, different sides of country music and stuff like that. And, you know, Charlie, of course, is, you know, he's Charlie's poised, I think, to almost, you know, do what Willie has done in a way to kind of like bring the sound of the region to uh, to the world stage for a different generation. And, 
so you know i've got infinite respect for his his uh work ethic and just you know just like this is his style the way he approaches just you know the music and and the, and the whole thing um man i speaking of joshua Walker, walker though I, I i sat and just watched a little bit of film on him last night dang man that guy can sing and play and write with the best of them dude so yeah i mean i i think i you know it's one of those deals uh man where um i was having a conversation recently with a friend of mine and daniel johnson who uh is he played some he played on the record this this one i'm putting out and he played uh, uh dobro and pedal steel and and um but he played with Hank Free for a long time, different stuff, and and, and he was he was kind of giving me a little a bit of a just a just, just talking to me about stuff, you know, giving me some perspective on things, and, and it's like one of those things where when you set out to um, to honor the craft of of what guys like Billy Joe Shaver and Towns Van Zandt and guys like that have done, it's like you know before you realize it, like you're doing, you're doing it. And you, and you may not realize it. It's, I think that's kind of what you're, what you're getting at is like, it's hard, it's hard to step back and, and, and see where you fit into the whole, into the grand scheme of things. And so, you know, you know, I think, you know, all us young guys, whatever, are just trying our best to pay homage to those, those cats that have come before us. Um, but, but there is a void that, that needs to be filled so you know, I, you know, I think somebody's got to do it, and so I think we're all just trying to do our part to, to, uh, to honor that craft, that that tradition of the Texas songwriter guys, and you know, I guess time will tell, you know, how good a job we've done at it, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> I want to break one more time to talk about our pals over at Desert Door and offer up a quick Thomas Mooney's cocktail minute. As I've said probably a hundred times by now, by no means am I a seasoned mixologist or bartender. But these have been some of my desert door go-tos. For starters, let's just go with the tried and true ranch water. Pop the top off the Topo Chico, take a good swig, now pour in some desert door and top it off by throwing in a few lime wedges. Never fails. This one, it's so simple it probably doesn't even count. But again, pretty foolproof. Do the exact same thing, but get you a Mexican Coca-Cola. I guess you can go with a regular one, but you're really cutting yourself short if you don't opt for the Mexican import variety. All right, here's the changeup you've been waiting for. Desert Door Sangria. This one is prime for when you have company coming over and you aren't wanting to just be over there making six different drinks at a time. What you'll need is some Desert Door, obviously, a bottle of red wine, honey, boiling water, apple cider, apple cider vinegar, some cinnamon sticks, a couple of apples, and some thyme sprigs. I know that may sound intimidating, but trust me, it's worth the prep. And honestly, it's pretty easy. For starters, get you a punch bowl, add that honey, those cinnamon sticks, and the boiling water together. Now you're going to want to stir that all up and let it cool down for about an hour or so. Remember, patience is a virtue. Once that's done, 
Add some desert door and stir vigorously. Now add the wine, the cider, and the vinegar and continue stirring until it's equally mixed. Now slice those apples up and toss them in. Put in those thyme sprigs as well. Now you can pour that over some ice and you have a mighty fine sangria. Chef's kiss. Anyway, those have been some of my favorite go-tos as of late. And remember, Desert Door is as versatile as vodka and more refined, smooth, complex, and intriguing than tequila. It's rich in balance, and whether you decide to keep it simple or want to experiment, Desert Door is that perfect Texas spirit. There's plenty more recipes over at DesertDoor.com as well. Check out the show notes for a link. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, the uh, Charlie's work ethic, as, as you mentioned there, I mean, he's making up for lost time when it comes to putting out records. Uh, and, you know, it, what's what's amazing is, is I think we've kind of gotten in, and I don't know, maybe, maybe we haven't gotten into this, but um, we've gotten into maybe a little bit of a, a thing where you kind of eke out as much out of a record, you ring out as much, um, life out of a record when you release one because yeah clearly you can make a record at any point now without having a label and all that kind of stuff but obviously mm-hmm. you know like cutting a record is expensive and it's not necessarily like back in you know the 60s or 70s where these guys are putting out two records a year or like two records every 18 months kind of deal um yeah. and they're they're kind of in that spot where like you know um not necessarily privilege, but they 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 have like the luxury of being able to. If you look at like Willie's catalog, you know there's Willie Nelson sings Christopherson, so he's got like just Christopherson songs on yeah. the record, and you know having the the ability to to do a bunch of stuff outside of maybe like as far as the the, the catalog goes. Um, what I, what my my entire point is that uh, Charlie's kind of like even at that still flipped it where he's, he's putting out so many records and still having, maintaining a, a, a vision throughout without it feeling like, oh, well, you know, half of these songs didn't need to be cut. You know, it, we, you never really feel that, where it's like, uh-huh. like, should he have just put all this effort into one record or anything like that? You never really feel that. And yeah, like he, he's doing a whole lot of really, really cool stuff. I think like him and... Uh, maybe not at the same rate of record releases, but are still releasing a bunch of records, Mike and the moon pies and they sure, got yeah. a new one coming pretty soon too. So yeah, yeah I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see how, um, you know, I, I think we've put a whole lot of pressure on the record as far as like, you know, again, ringing every little ounce of, of life out of it, uh, over, you know, a couple of years and, all that kind of stuff. If you're, if you're releasing singles and like, you know, I'm going to release five singles out of this and you know, whatever, whatever, all that kind of stuff goes. Um, maybe, maybe you don't have to do that. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just rambling on here. Um, no, no, I, I hear you loud and clear. I mean, there's, you know, there again, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those, uh, things that, you know, there, there's different philosophies on, I guess, you know, um, Charlie records and releases records at a feverish pace and, it, but it never 
you know, like you said, never there's never a lack of quality. You know, it's always. I mean, and the quality actually just seems to be getting better as time goes on, and 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 you know that was that was something he impressed upon me a couple of years ago. It was like, man, you know, just like make good music and put it out and keep playing. Like, just that's what you do. You just you know, like over and over, just keep doing it. So, I mean, I think I think he's really kind of set a standard, or you know. I mean, he just has, he has a, a savvy from, you know, from the time from playing on the streets on up that, and, uh, and, you know, he and I met, I was mentioned earlier, but, just, you know, it's kind of, uh, talk a little bit more about it. He and I met a, a few years back. It was probably like seven years ago now or something like that up in Northern California. And, uh, it was, he had just, or was he was just about to record uh, a stolen gem, which was like, you know, this is, this is way early and in, in relative to his his whole recording uh, career, I guess. And uh, I mean, f- but from the very first time I heard him and saw him, like he he's been the same guy, man. Just you know, like he could always get get to, get people moving and just had had a, had a spark and had a look and had a sound and it's evolved, but it's, he's, he's stuck to his guns really. And, uh, but I think, you know, not to overstate it, but you know, all those other guys we're talking about, Josh and Vincent and, and me and, and, you know, there's, and there's others, I think, you know, that Charlie has done a lot to kind of inspire the rest of us that, Oh, okay. You know, uh, okay. I, you can, you know, that, you know, there's a way to do it and, and everybody's going to kind of take their own approach at it. Um, and, you know, maintain their own thing. But as far as like, you know, uh, setting a, setting a bar and, you know, um, yeah, but you know, you definitely want to get it, get all the miles you can out of every record you put out, and, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and hopefully, you know, um, uh, you know, be able to amass enough material, uh, you know, you know, and to me, I, I, I want to, you know, I, I like, I like writing songs. So I, I've, you know, uh, up to this point have put out all original material, which that's something, you know, that Charlie's been like, man, you know, you could cut one of those town songs you like to do or you know, different stuff like that. So there's, right. Which is, which is a, you know, like you're saying, uh, that kind of approach that Willie and and you know even Ray Charles and Johnny Cash, I mean, all those guys sang, Waylon, all, all those guys sang other people's songs, and so that's something that I, I may consider um, in the future doing. Um, but yeah, yeah, Mike and the Moon Pies, man, I, I love what they're doing too. You know, they and they 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 really worked up from, you know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know them personally, or, or I'm not as, as close to their story, but I know that they kind of came up out of the the honky tonks in Austin, and you know, have built built what they do up, and and they, you know, they just keep putting out good records, and that's what it's all about, man. You know, just right. the, yeah, just you know, um, I, I I read something at some point that something to the effect that like. 
you know, that I, that the high, that a high volume of creative output is, you know, you know, maybe like more capitalist philosophy than it is a creative philosophy or something, something to that effect, whatever. I mean, but if you can maintain quality creativity and keep doing it and, you know, and be able to, to build up what you're doing to a point where it's also, you know, lucrative and, and successful, I mean, you know, more power to you, man. No, absolutely. Yeah. You know? The, the thing that, as you mentioned with Charlie, as far as like, you know, cutting other people's songs, that is very much like the tie to, to Willie Nelson. The, yeah. um, you know, I've had some buddies who have had, you know, where they've cut uh, someone else's song and caught a little flack or been hesitant because they think they were going to catch flack from, from an audience or something like that. And, you know, I've always gone back and told them, you know, Willie Nelson is maybe mm-hmm. like the most ident- like the most identifiable singer songwriter in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a culture and like a, you know, a level of songwriting uh, craftsmanship with every song that Willie's ever written. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe his most known songs are all covers. So like, don't be right. too proud necessarily to, to think that like, you know, you can't, cut someone else's song because i mean if willie nelson can cut another Mm -hmm. person's song, and again like i go back to like yeah they've had some like you know a little bit more bandwidth that they had to fill up because they they have that luxury of if you're on on a record label you know and it's on the the company's dime as far as like putting out Mm -hmm. records go maybe maybe there's a little bit to that but still i mean um Mm-hmm. I guess like who is it? Who Fred Rose is Fred Rose who wrote "Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain"? Or like, oh man, I'm not know, sure. Um, Probably, uh, yeah, you know, always on my mind. I don't know who cut who wrote that, but like that's a cover, you know. Like there's so sure whiskey whiskey rivers is I think a Johnny Bush song. Right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, yeah, there's just you know so, classics. I mean, you know, Willie definitely didn't write uh, "Blue Skies," and that's one of my favorite cuts of his. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's you know, dude. I, you know, I really like his, uh, his Frank Sinatra album he put out recently, you know, right. dude, you know, he does. So, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think there's definitely something to that, man. I mean, you know, I mean, he was, if I'm not mistaken, Willie was a, you know, a staff writer or, you know, he was a Nashville songwriter. And right. so, so it's not like he doesn't have the chops to write enough material for himself to, to record and perform. But even still, he chose to, and probably, you know, very wisely to cut other people's songs because people like that stuff. You know, people, people, I mean, it's, that's one of those things. Yeah. It's easy to be prideful as a songwriter to say, okay, well, I'm only going to cut my, you know, I'm only, I'm only going to write uh, and record, you know, I'm only going to record and perform my own material, but that is very limiting. And, um, and I mean, I, yeah, I was in green hall when I, you know, first time I heard Charlie do Jamestown Ferry live and dude, the, everybody in the room was singing and, you know, cause, mm-hmm. cause some, somewhere in the back of their mind, they remember, they remember that from back when. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, there again, there's, people are going to have all sorts of different philosophies on it. And I know, I know great songwriters 
who um, who make the argument that you know there's no reason to sing other people's songs if you got your own songs, but you know it's not all about you. It doesn't you know like you know regardless of how fascinating one person's story is or the stories that they can make up, you know it you're you're probably selling yourself short to some extent if you're not willing to um to sing stuff that people know and love um and so yeah that's 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 a that's an age-old kind of debate there but um yeah i mean if willie can sing johnny bush and if uh whalen can sing billy joe and you know Mm -hmm. um it's all like time and place right I mean, like, yes, yeah, it's the, um, you know, if if you're looking for a record that you, that you're very passionate about and it's like, you know, you want it to be that singular vision. Absolutely. You need to like be writing those songs, but Mm -hmm. you know, if it's, it's one of those things where maybe the record's not as, it's not as much of a conceptual record or if, or whatever the case okay to like you know put in put in one of those other songs um dude dude, if you're struck with a fit of inspiration and you and you've written an album worth of incredible original material by all means record it perform it but don't be too proud to at some point in, in your you know in your life to uh to you know um pay homage to to you know all the great songwriters and great songs that exist already yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. To, to transition a little bit, we've talked a little bit about, you know, working with Bruce as far as like, you know, cutting on tape, you have to slow down because you can't, uh, it is just part of the process as far as like, you can't be, you can't do all the parts in, in a, in a day or three days or something like that. You have to slow down as far as the, the recording process goes. And that, that helps you in a lot of ways, understand the song more, um, you have to think about it all more, all that kind of stuff as far as slowing down goes. Have you been able to, um, I guess, apply that to, to songwriting as well? Um, cause I know like easily, it's easy to kind of get, um, uh, frustrated and trying to like, oh, I need to finish this. Have you been able to apply that to songwriting in a, in a way where it's like, you know, um, this doesn't have to be finished this afternoon. Um, cause I think we, we can all get to that point of like this task, this task needs to be done now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's, that's, that's a good question, man. Um, you know, it's, uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, has, has the recording process informed my songwriting process? Probably, you know, sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, just for instance, like yesterday, I, you know, I started kind of writing something in my, just, just uh, mentally, I was kind of coming up with some lines. And so right before we sat down here to have, to, to talk this afternoon, I, I started kind of jotting down some of these uh, verses that I had on my mind. And so, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's definitely important to, to give yourself the time that it requires to complete a thought or, or a song or, you know, whatever it is you're working on. 
Now, oftentimes, it's been my experience that that I I, I kind of get like I'll get struck with these moments occasionally where it's you know, or 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 otherwise I I give myself the space to do it like you know the space and time to, to properly sit down and start and finish something. And, you know, it's like when I have the right pen and a good, you know, a clean piece of paper and a cup of coffee and I'm at, at my desk and I have 30 minutes and it's like the right time of morning. And, you know, and, and if I, if I do that, if I, if I set myself up for that, oftentimes I'll be able to sit down and, and complete uh, the idea from start to finish. And, and so there's different factors that, you know, kind of um, uh, contribute to your ability to finish something in in one sitting, but that's not to say that um, if if the idea or you know the song starts in a different way where you're not in your paper or you don't have the whole half hour to an hour or however long it would take you to finish it that that uh, you shouldn't still, you know, pay attention to that idea and then, and then, you know, take the time to finish it later. So it's, yeah, I mean, every song is different and, you know, like, um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of those things, that, you know, like I, I've gotten to where some, some of the songs that, that I've written lately, whereas ordinarily or early in my writing, I would usually sit down with a guitar and, and write with the guitar and write words music at the same time. I've gotten to where, you know, I like to write the lyrics and once I get the lyrics, then I can just, you know, then I can come up with some words. Sometimes I get struck with a line in particular, like in a conversation or just, you know, there's like some idea that, that, you know, come comes to me that like, I need to, I, I realize I need to write a whole song around this line um, so it's, it's always different, but <clears throat> I think regardless of, of any of it, um, working on this album with Bruce out there in the studio and, 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 and the way that we recorded and, and, um, the approach that we took to these songs will inevitably inform the way that I write and record in the future, mm -hmm. you know? Right. You, uh. I chuckle a little bit because you're like, you know, having the right things, having that cup of coffee, all that stuff. Yeah. The thing that like I go, oh, I know exactly that is that you said the right pin. Some, like, yeah. I think like people maybe underestimate the power of having a pin that like is your favorite pin. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm there with you, man. Yeah. Uh, I like these uh, pilot precise v5 extra fine rolling ball you know it's mm -hmm. it's like it's almost like a little marker but it's got a ball in it and it's just the way it almost writes like a fountain pen or something but it uh yeah and like no i like to write in a composition book you know yeah. like the black the black and white flecked uh, covered comp book from like <laughs> chem my chemistry class you know right yeah, but what yeah, I, what I use is these Uniball Signo 207s. Uh, there are ones that are like extra fine that are even better. I don't have one on my desk right now, but 
Um, yeah, those are like my go-to because I just feel like they, they just, I don't know, they're just way better. For me. Well, I just I wrote know. that down. I just wrote that that down with my pilot, uh, precise V5 Uniball Signos 207s. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna have to get some. <laughs> yeah. Now this is this is gonna be really insider. I don't know if we're gonna connect on this or not. Are you left-handed or right-handed? I'm I'm right-handed. Okay. Well, I'm left-handed yeah. and. Nice. Another point on this is that like these are the, <coughs> these like for me, um, and I've tried to I've told this is super boring, but you know when you're writing right-handed, you're like pulling the pin, so like the ink right. doesn't like jam up on you. When you're left-handed, no, yeah, you're yeah. like pushing it, and these are like right. the one pins that I don't ever have problems with. So huh. I yeah. got you. And then I don't have like I don't end up with any ink smears on my. Ink handy um, so. yeah. yeah i was gonna ask about that yeah <laughs> if you if that's a problem with the ink get, getting the ink on your palm yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah you mentioned yeah the, you mentioned the just being allowing yourself the the time the the space to to be in the moment that i think mm-hmm. that's like you know something super key to to it all is is that is you know every song can come different and it, it and yeah you can write in these different spaces but sometimes just having um kind of the setup is yeah. important to where where you're not having to worry about all the other stuff maybe like you know not to make it into science or anything like that or math but you know sometimes having the the right conditions um mm-hmm. allows yourself to like not even be thinking about anything other than yeah. The task at hand, which is yeah. you know, the song. Exactly. Yep. So. Yep. I mean, I agree. I, you know, it's rather than waiting to be struck by inspiration and then having to scramble to mm-hmm. like find find the the materials to record the idea. If you create a time and space where you know the the object of you know of that said time and space is to create whether or not you come up with anything, then you've, you know, you've got, you've at least created the, the proper conditions to allow it to happen. And if you do that on a regular basis and you have a kind of like method, I think the more likely you are to come up with something that's worth, worth keeping, you know? Right. You know, it's like I heard somebody, a songwriter that was lecturing songwriters on songwriting recently saying, like, the only way to write something is to be writing. You know, you know, if you're not if you're not writing, you're not going to come up with anything. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's the, you know, so early on in, in people's careers, because, you know, you've never done it before. It's very, very easy to just be like inspired to write about everything because all fresh and new and you kind of fall in line with that thinking where you know if i need to be inspired by something and you know it needs to be something big and bold and powerful emotional whatever the case and you know that's going to hit me and that's when i write a song and because that's happened so often when you're first starting out but there's something to that whole thing where you know that's not always going to work that's not always going to to happen and and having that little bit of structure um because mm-hmm. i i know yeah. like for me like i always have 
problems starting stuff and sure it's just because you're like you procrastinate about doing it um and then five minutes into it you like forgot how you even started so it doesn't even like once you start getting that ball rolling it, it's mm-hmm. you get lost in, in what you're working on and that's uh where a lot of magic and a lot of stories come from is like once you get past the the initial stages of of boredom yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. If, you, if you can get if you can get used to like kicking yourself away from the shore of reality into the creative process then yeah you know you uh <clears throat> you're more likely to do it more often and you know inevit- inevitably you'll be able to create more often and produce more and better quality material hopefully yeah. whether that's with songwriting or with you know writing of any kind or, or any kind of creative you know uh, sort of a task yeah for sure um, yeah yeah I think that's a, a good spot to, to end it on right there it's been a uh, great talking with you this afternoon Man, it's my pleasure, Thomas. Uh, you know, I appreciate you uh, having me on and taking the time to, to uh, talk about all this stuff. All right, that is it for this one right here. Be sure to check out Dallas Borough by Dallas Borough out this Friday, July 23rd. Go stop on over and visit our presenting partners, Desert Door and the Blue Light Live. And yeah, I'll see you all later this week for another episode. <laughs>